We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for a Friday edition of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, coming at you on September 10th. Got a very fun episode for you today, which just got done recording with two very close friends of mine. One of them you know very well, uh, producer on the show, also your uh, guest host for a couple weeks while I was uh, in the process of moving, Andrew Claudio, along with... His co-host on his new podcast, Final Review, Bernardo Zorowski. So if you are a loyal listener to this pod, you have heard Bernardo on several times. Um, he did a lot of the last dance uh, post games, I guess you'd call them. He's been on some other times with uh, our uh, our um, common law school buddy. Uh, can't get my words out. Uh, Yash. And um, he's back. Uh, with Andrew, and we talk a little bit about their new podcast, which is a movie podcast. We, of course, talk a lot about the Knicks. We get into a whole big discussion about Carmelo Anthony and um, his time on the Knicks and uh, whether that is uh, properly viewed by the masses, uh, including me. And uh, we relate that discussion to uh, how we talk about basketball and movies and take culture and uh, all that goes into that. And it turned out to be really fun and interesting, and I think you will enjoy it. So that is coming up right now. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to say. So without further ado, here are Bernard and Andrew. Uh, and enjoy. Joining me now on the next film school podcast. I am pleased, honored, if you will, to be joined by the hosts, plural of America's newest movie podcast sensation sweeping the country. Um, or maybe that's just in my mind because I've fallen in love with this show. Very Here's the best compliment I can give these guys before I actually say their names. Two episodes in, I have wanted neither episode to end. And the second episode, which I just finished listening to about two hours ago, was about two hours long. And I didn't want it to end. Um, who should I say first? Well, it's, you know what? Andrew, he's put in the time. He's, he's my producer. Andrew <laughs> oh, Claudio. Hey, <laughs> I get top billing on the pod that I spend more time on in my entire life. Thank you, John. <laughs> 
<laughs> and joining him. Uh, well, you introduce yourself. You speak first on on final review, so it's only fitting that I introduce you first here. And, and joining sense. and joining him and me, my good buddy uh, Bernardo Zaraski. Hello, sir. Hey there, film and Knicks fans. <laughs> How you um, doing? <laughs> so. We're, we're going to talk Knicks, obviously, because it's a Knicks podcast. We always figure out a way to talk some Knicks. But I do want to start um, with your guys' podcast. So for anybody listening to the show who who doesn't know, um, I guess I'm going to give a little bit of a history lesson. So Andrew Claudio produces this show. Um, he has also hosted several podcasts in his, in his life. Um, and I'm just going to say it. I think this is the best one. Um, I hope you don't. I, I have no, no shade. As far as hosting, it's the one that I've absolutely put the most work into. This is no disrespect to anything I ever did at Gotham Sports Network or any episode of Final Score. But Oz and I went into uh, the winter of last year with an idea and kept pushing it off. Like when we should do it, when I'll be free to do it, when I can really commit to what this will sound like and what this will we can work on an idea And then even when we thought we had it, we kept working at it and kept uh, going through demos and uh, segment ideas and the the format changes. Uh, This is a labor of love. And I I really think we've we've landed on something. I'm not offended at all if you say that this is the best thing I've ever done. Look, we had our our broken spines that we had to magically recuperate and teleport back to Gotham to to uh-huh. put on our podcast. That's Dark Knight Rises. I know, sir. I know, I know. That's I know, different. I, know. I agree with you on that. You know, movie. it's it, okay. We'll get right into it. My only complaint about the episode. So, for anybody who hasn't heard the the, the podcast is called Final Review. Two episodes in. First episode was Social Network. Um, second episode, Dark Knight. Third episode, I'm not going to say, but if you want to know what it is, listen to the music at the end of the last episode. Um, so there was no mention of Dark Knight Rises on a, on a two hour podcast about Dark Knight. I just at least wanted a cursory mention about that movie. That's all. That's all I just want to say. You know what? You This is like the unofficial sequel to that episode at this point. And I'll okay. say. I like The Dark Knight Rises. I know you do. Oh, do you? <laughs> I do. I think it's good. So do I. I. Think it, I think it leans into the superhero bullshit in a way that The Dark Knight is afraid to, Agreed. where The Dark Knight like feels like it has to do it. And The Dark Knight Rises is like, you know what? We're a dumb fucking superhero movie. Let's have a little fun with it. And I respect that. And I, Tom Hardy is just going for it. I don't know what he's doing, but it's, here, it's fun. You guys spent two hours praising justifiably uh, Heath Ledger's performance as, as Joker. Um, I didn't think there was, I like, I felt bad for Hardy being the one who's like, has to essentially, it's like, you know, the guy who starts for the shooting guard or at shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan retires. Um, and uh, I thought he, he showed up and he did his thing and he made it, you know, whatever it was, it was fun. Um, what I love about the pod is I think what people consumers of content as we all are um, in addition to being producers of content is what's the thing that gets us all to click when we're scrolling. What's the thing that catches your attention? It's lists. And you managed, <laughs> you managed to have a podcast literally chock full of lists. And yet it feels completely and totally authentic in the execution and how you guys do it. And I, I'm not going to ask you to be like, yeah, that was exactly how we, but like whatever got you to the point where this is where the podcast is. It's, um, it's a slam dunk. 
Thank you. So that's it. That's I my compliment. That. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, really kind, actually. I, it's I mean, in the, the compliments we've been getting this week that I think the format is uh, the people recognizing the format and how it works has been the coolest thing. Um, yeah, I have no comment on your your Dark Knight Rises takes. First of all, it's a movie we're never going to do on final review. I already am vetoing any suggestion of doing it in final review. Who's the Nick that in but let's ooh, later we'll, we'll, we'll start our tie in before I get to my larger point about uh, basketball criticism or basketball analysis and film criticism, which I'm really here, curious to hear your takes on. Let's give let's compare each of these three Nolan movies to a Nick. It doesn't have to be a current Nick. It could be a past oh, Nick. Okay. I think that I think the, the easiest one. Oh, I already know where you're going and I already know where I'm going to stand on this side of the fence. Ahead, you, think I, you think I'm going to compare Mellow to Dark Knight? Yes. Something is beloved by many, but you two can't seem to find the joy in. First of all, here we go. <laughs> I, OK, this is this is now what this pot is. Yeah, this is me taking a stand against you, sir. Uh-huh. You trying to pigeonhole me as someone who dislikes and dishonors the memory and the great legacy of one Carmelo Anthony in a Knicks uniform. Fine. Proud, uh, prove me wrong. Go ahead. Change my mind. I'm sitting at the table with the sign, John. <laughs> I've First of all, I've been on record in our, if not our text chain, then the text chain that I have have longer running text chain with Oz and, and Yash. Mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony's first bout Hall of Famer, right? Bernard, am I saying any lie? The That's obvious. true. He yes. first said that. First bout Hall of Famer, all-time great player. I think he has a a good argument for being a top 50 player ever. I don't I would have to really sit down and quibble with the you know, but he's he's in the conversation for being in the top 50 ever. He's he's the greatest Nixon's Patrick Ewing. That's no question about that. Um and I think he was a I think he was a great Nick. I think there's an argument for retiring his jersey, um, even though he more seasons than not. He didn't win here. I don't think it was all his fault. My only thing with him is that I've been unwilling to be as effusive as like Carmelo Anthony was the second coming when to me in this city, despite the fact that we've not done much winning in a very long time, you do need to achieve some modicum of success in the postseason. And he won one playoff series. Is that his fault? No, it's probably not his fault. But like, that's my only t- is that is that that unreasonable? It's like me saying R.J. Barrett's over under for all star appearances is two and a half. And then me being a labeled a hater of R.J. Barrett for, for taking that stance. Come on. First of all, once again, why do you hate R.J. Barrett? But we do not have to get into that on this podcast. <laughs> um, I think everything you've said, I agree with. And I, ironically, if you I mean, Oz was with me with Schwinn I, when he Oz, uh, what was Schwinn said top 60? And I was like, I'd actually go lower than that um, yeah i think i had the highest i think i had the highest rating i was like yeah. clearly in the back of the top 50 and you guys both cracked me back on that and i'm, I the, think, I'm the hater so i think carmelo anthony is one of the more gifted scorers this sport has ever seen and as we've seen throughout this decade and parts of last decade although last decade you could get away with just a pure score being your best player and finding role players around him and you'd be successful. Allen Iverson being the best example of that made a finals because the league was so stretched out in their talent that all you needed was a dominant score and you'd be fine. And as the league progressed and as talent became um, more of a surplus in this league, you needed a big two, you needed a big three and Melo's best two and three were J.R. Smith and Tyson Chandler and like half a year of Jason Kidd. 
And they're like, I'm more blame management for that. And I think a lot of the blame for Mello, Mello's shortcomings when he came here and then what happened after that are people are, in my opinion, although I've come to a realization, I'm just in the minority. I am in the minority on what happened with the trade and how detrimental it was. And then, you know, what happened when Phil Jackson took over. That's all. I just think he gets scapegoated as like this dark era and what Donnie Walsh's plan being ruined, even though Donnie Walsh spent two years <laughs> sitting on cap space so he can get LeBron and then didn't. You know, wow. Shots fired. I'm sorry. Probably enjoy a cocktail in Indiana right now. And you're just shrapnel. I'm sorry, but the guy and all we have to hear is that Donnie Walsh was infatuated by Steph Curry. And it was like, oh, there's a shame that we dropped one spot too far. How about you trade up, Donnie? How about you get a little proactive instead of waiting for something to happen? Just like what happened in the summer of 2020, 2010, when you walked away with Amari Stoudemire, called it a victory, had this fan base convinced that four people that to this day have never made an all-star team are the assets that would have changed the Knicks if we didn't trade for Carmelo. And yet here we are. I get what you guys are going to say about asset management. And it's hilarious. It's hilarious that people are like, I've never seen traded, you this fired up. We could have traded for Chris Paul. Yeah, because I associate playoff success with trading for Chris Paul. That's exactly Paul, what happened. Hold on. We're, we're, we're going off the we're going off the multiple arguments being on. Melo I, I, deserves his flowers. And I'm glad Macri is finally giving it. I think. And Bernard, I want to hear your thoughts on this. My, my I guess my first of all, on the top 50 thing, um, the original top 50 list, the NBA made, I guess, a little over 20 years ago now. My God, I am old. Um, Dominique Wilkins was left off that. And it was very controversial at the time. People, I think, were in agreement that he was like 51, right? 45, 51. Carmelo Anthony's kind of the modern day Dominique Wilkins, except Dominique Wilkins, sadly, kind of had a little bit more playoff success, although he never made it to a conference finals. Melo did in Denver. Um, yeah, but like similar players. So in any case, the thing that I focus on is Melo was was part of some teams that were not just bad, were atrocities. And there are other quote unquote great players that have been part of some pretty bad teams, but like, I don't know the, there's no knock on him being part of a 17 win team. There's no, not, I mean, he played with Derek Rose. He barely, played that, Porzingis he, he barely like, played that year. I thought he got hurt early he, in the season. And then he, after the Ulster, big barely played. I thought I looked up, about this. I, know. I looked it up the other day, okay. sir. Um, he played in 31. It's uh, the third first 35 games, I think, or 30, 30 of like the thir- first 34 and they were five and 29 and he, they were zero and four in the games he missed. So they were five and 24 in the games he played. Now, look, is that all on him? No, that roster was utterly dog shit in so many ways. Like, and they used like 40 different starting lineups that season. It's absurd. Terrible, terrible team, you know, but he was like, I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what I fault him more for. Maybe I let go ahead. Right. Us. No, let, yeah, let, please. let me, and this pains me. I've said many nasty things about him on this podcast before, but let me mount a half-hearted defense of Carmelo Anthony's legacy, which is this. He he was fantastic, top of the charts at a skill that we don't value anymore, which is yes. volume scoring inside the three-point arc. He's great at it. And we don't care about ISO scorers as we look at the game in 2021. And it's a little bit unfair because he was evaluated in real time, based on the skill that he was very good at. 
I think it's almost unfair to him that his legacy is colored by the fact that 90 style analysis looked at Carmelo Anthony as a top five player. We were sold a bill of goods that we were getting a top five player. And then we got a guy who in reality was like a top 25 ish player because his skill set was in the process of being left behind. That's the key. The entire time. The league was changing as his career was unfolding. Correct. And he, for whatever reason, didn't have the capability to shift gears and become a different sort of player that would work in the new normal. And that's what I, that's that's what I hold against him a little bit. Agreed. We, and we saw the teases. We saw the dad mellow tease. There were moments where we thought to ourselves, wow, he could take the next step. He could be yeah. a modern four and this could really be something. And it never happened. It never materialized. Yeah. And it makes him fucking frustrating. And the other thing is that from a sabermetric perspective, he's a dude who shows up on every one of the most overrated players of his era list, in part because he was a somewhat dinosaur player in an era of great transition. It's hard to be the 300 hitter when everyone starts hitting 50 home runs or something like that. Um, it's just a tough, it, it's a tough place for his legacy because those Knicks teams, as John said, aside from really like one good year, those one and a half, were, one and a half were yeah. fucking brutal. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to erase the sort of gut feel of the pre-mellow with Amare, but pre-mellow Knicks, which were just so goddamn fun. Probably the the most fun team in recent Knicks memory until this past year. The first you're just, talking about the first specifically the first fifty games of that yeah, exactly the pre trade deadline season. That team was fun. It had uh, a good it had a good feel. That, that ten games of Stoudemire where he was like, oh my god, is he going to win the MVP? <laughs> yes, I, it was amazing. It was so fun. Was and I mean that that was uh, that was a season full of such hope, and it just he was supposed to be the next step there, and it just never had the right. Feel. I was on the first date with my now wife, the first playoff game that season. We had to like cut our dinner short because I was like, we have to go to a bar. We should have another drink, but let's go to a bar that now. should have been a clue to her to run for the hills. I know. Very a dumb. clue that I, I think she's wished she's taken many times over the years. But continue. Dude, someday I'm going to come home and my key is not going to work in the lock, but whatever. Um she she saw a preview day one and put up yeah. with this shit, but it's just that that was a, a special team and it felt like a promise unfulfilled to me. And I think a lot of fans have that sort of mouthfeel for a mellow. Mm. Yeah, I no, think that's, that's I think cool. a lot of fans and I, I this is going to sound wrong, but I don't mean it this way. I think a lot of fans like you two feel that way because they don't look at the 2010 season as that special. They were 20 and 18 when they made the mellow trade that stretch with Amari going off. Yeah, it was great, which is why you thought pairing him with a Carmelo Anthony would be great. And it is almost as if his health went off a cliff and now Mello was looking for a new sidekick. So that's at least my response. I think people more look at the 2013 season as special. That's where you designate that season is that was a special season. And the Knicks didn't know how to recreate it the following season, which I don't put the blame on Carmelo Anthony for that. I put them on those guys that were in charge of putting a team together. It's such a veteran mercenary squad. It's it's going yeah. out and getting all these aged <clears throat> folks in and tossing them together. Sometimes that shit works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's not it's not as though that team was a sustainable thing that's going to go on a five year run when Jason Kidd is your point guard. What is he forty at that point? It's just yeah. not. It's just not what you can feasibly build around. I mean. Look, we can we can pick apart 
the Carmelo Anthony era. And I think to your point, Andrew, the lion's share of the blame lies on the decision-making processes of those who were running the team at that time. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. Um, Could a different, could different superstar players in that role have done more or differently to, you know, it's like 2013, 14. Yes. Some of the vets left the squad, but they still had the bones of it. And they started off were they two and nine to start off that year. Something, something, you know, it, it, it cratered it, you know, from like, you know, where, where does the, where's the blame lie there? Like, is, are we going back and like analyzing game by we're not going to do that. I if, mean, it but is- if you want me to, I can say J.R. Smith wasn't even close to what he was the year before. Steve Novak was off the team at that point. He didn't come back. No, I think I think I think Novak was, was there. He there? He was I'll, there. I'll, he I'll was there. I'm yeah. trying to remember when it was that I was upset that Steve Novak was gone, but it might have been 2015. Regardless, like the, the key thing is that the Knicks looked at what they lost at the end of 2013 and then went into 2014 and said, you know what? We'll fix everything. Andrea Bargnani. And that <laughs> is why I can't blame Carmelo for not being able to win with Andrea Bargnani. You, you might you might win the argument with that, which well, is so the thing is, it's I don't even think it's that complex of an argument. I think largely at its core, the three of us agree about Melo. I think he could have been the best player, the second best player on a team that won the won the championship no, I- in this era, which. Maybe if he did get Chris Paul, both of their skills match better and Melo can play off ball more because he has shown in his career that if he has a competent point guard, he's willing to share a little more. It's the he didn't pass enough to Landry Fields or Amon Shumpert and these guys that weren't great shooters to begin with. Like, how dare you not pass to Jose Calderon? Like the 17 win season, <laughs> midway through that season, Tyson Chandler was gone. Amon Shumpert was gone. Um um, who went in the J.R. Smith went in it that was, trade. It was J.R. Smith and I'm on Trevor. Right. So it's like trade. they stripped that team and Melo's like, all right, I'm going to go get surgery. Call me when we have talent back on this team, which I, I don't necessarily blame him for. I think that I think the argument and I'm not saying it's a great argument, but it's it's the argument is that like, you know, you look at a guy like Kemba Walker, who for the meat of his career in Charlotte, like and we I'm, we love Kevin Walker. We we love him here as a Nick now. Um, but like you know, there was the one year he had. For, so like he had his version of the 2012-13 year in in 2015-16 when they won 48 games. And the next three years after that, 36 wins, 36 wins, 39 wins with some rosters that if you go back and look at, I mean, you want to talk about piddling? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just not what you want. And it's like you know things things spiraled out of control here, but that's also because like all the attention was focused on it. And there was, you know, it's the Phil Jackson drama and like, there's, there's lots of reasons for it. And, and the, you know, there things really cratered out or, you know, cratered a a few times, I think. Can I give you Um, a better comp? Sure. How did we view Devin Booker before this season? Oh yeah. Like the guys asked to do one thing on that team is score. And then they got young though. But like Melo through most of his career in the beginning was a first round exit. Like he was, Barely make like probably had more playoff success than Devin Booker because he was at least making the playoffs. But Mello was asked to do one thing for those Nuggets teams, and it was score. Then yeah. they put him with a point guard. He made the conference finals. Can't fault him for not beating Kobe Bryant in one of the last great years of Kobe Bryant, especially once Kobe yeah. as is most of Kobe's career got a low post threat that he could play off of. Um, I look at Mello's career more as if he ever got the point guard, and maybe it was Chris Paul, maybe it was, it could have been, we'll never know about the trade. I still, 
I still think a lot of us are misremembering what that season was like. I remember that was like the first year I started listening to podcasts. Which season are you talking about when they almost the, traded for Chris Paul? Well, no, the season that they um the season that they traded for Mello. That's like the first year I discovered that people oh, okay. didn't talk on WFAN and had other mediums to talk okay. about sports, right? Um that was the first year where I was like, I, I found the BS report. I found, you know, other people that were just talking about about sports and in the way they were talking about that offseason and what the CBA was coming. Yeah. Every player from the players union from up top was being told, get your money now. We have no idea if we're playing next year. You might miss an entire year of your prime. Like, do, get your con- get on your next contract before the season ends which is why Mello forced his hands. Now you can project because we know what happened. Like, oh, they played on Christmas and now the CBA actually is very player friendly. But I remember being in the moment, like they kind of have to get Mello now or else he's going to go someplace else to get his well, money. I don't, I don't, and then we're still sitting here waiting for Johnny Walsh to do something. So. No, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think I, they, when you get, when this is gets us to like the Dame thing. Like there is a, there is a logic where when you could get the guy, you get the guy. And you, you worry about the rest later. Um, Can I ask a what if, since I want to now yes. prove that I do read John's newsletter, even though this week's been really busy and apparently I missed something recently. It's okay. Um, sure. So speaking of what ifs, if they did do that Kyle Lowry trade that Dolan steps in and you get a mini like three year run of mellow and Lowry, how what's the peak of that team? Is it the Lowry DeRozan teams? Like so potentially I have to- a couple of conference finals. So I have to go back and recall for myself the Kyle Lowry trade, I believe, was almost made not during the Bargs, the 2013 14 two years, two years later. Yeah, it was it two was, years later. But yeah, but no, I don't actually I don't know if that's right, because he, Kyle Lowry made the all star team in 2014-15. Um so and 2014-15 was the uh the year that the Knicks won 17 games. So I think I think the the almost Lowry trade was in 2013-14. Andrew, if you want to um, I'll get up, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll confirm that. Um cuz that that only makes sense cuz they would have no, it it has to because you know what? They yeah. would have um they the the whole thing was Dolan didn't want to give up Shumpert, right? For Lowry. And in 2014-15, they ended up trading uh, Amon Shumpert just to uh, get rid of uh, J.R. Smith. Into the, so, okay. So this, I'm going to assume it was in the 13-14 season, which is when, yeah, they had just traded for Bargs. And he, am I correct? You are correct. Okay. Your rumor correct. trade yeah. was Meta World Peace, Amon Shumpert, and a 2018 first round, first round pick. pick. Okay. Um, I, think it's, I think it's fascinating because... Felton was still the point guard for the rest of that year. His last year in New York, um, he was not. He was not as good because he really wasn't being like Jason Kidd was kind of the nominal shooting guard on the twelve thirteen team, even mm-hmm. though like Felton was yeah. listed as the point guard. But like they shared duties, it worked. It was, so, he was the Lonzo. He was a connector. Yeah, it was a, it was yeah. a weird brew, and it and it worked. Um, you put Lowry on the thirteen fourteen Knicks. They fell a game short of the playoffs. I say Lowry gets them to the playoffs. And if they get to the playoffs, because don't forget, they finished that season 16 and five in the last 20, 21 games, 
for Mike Woodson. Uh, they were rampaging. If they get in the playoffs, can Phil Jackson fire Mike Woodson? Ooh. Or can he replace, but can he, I don't know if he fired him, but like re, not renew him, whatever the, I forget the contract situation, but basically replace him with uh, Derek Fisher. I'm, I'm not sure that he can. If, if he makes it in, you, you have to think he stays, especially with the way they wrapped up the season. I mean, look, it, which is a stupid it's all, reason. It's all, it's all counterfactual bullshit at this point, but that, that is sort of fascinating. I, I really, I, I think he has to stay. And you, it, it's hard not to think about how the Lowry baby Hardaway at that point fit might have actually worked out. I think the steps that we've seen Hardaway take at the end of his next time, but also in, in Dallas might actually have happened in, in faster progress with someone like Lowry around him. It's sort of an interesting, it's an interesting scenario and i kind of think it does save woodson and delay a lot of the hellscape that we that we came to watch afterwards it it's funny because we i we i i constantly have this idea for we always get back to rj barrett for rj barrett where maybe if rj barrett isn't the most talented player on the team that he's on he like eventually becomes like the leader of the team that he's on and like maybe the most important guy in the locker room or something like that. So to me, this would have been perfect because I don't, I think everything that I was saying before, the better way to like, you know, condense that into one sentence is that Carmelo Anthony was probably not meant to be the galvanizing force that will be like, okay, guys, we know the chips are down, but we're not going to let go of the rope. We're going to stick this thing out like that because guess what? Several teams let go of the rope. Um, Lowry. No, I mean, listen, it's, can we at least agree on that? No, I agree completely. Oh, Andrew, can we like what the, the that so, define let go of that the he rope. was on did let go of the rope? Define let go of the rope. We're oh bad. Like we're just like we're Ended bad. Up sucking ass and not caring about the fact that they suck ass. That is correct. That, okay, because okay. that's you. the that there's a there's a difference between like the team wasn't good enough to be better and it, there's then there's like. They Unwatchable quit. shit. Like ball. they yeah. quit, which the back half of the two fifty loss seasons under Hornacek, where I guess the Hornacek and the second Fisher season were yes. very frustrating because it's like, oh, they could be better, but there's clearly nothing making them better. So the it, it, this is a really tough conversation to have because that following off season, so the so the 2013-14, let's say they get into the playoffs and they lose in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Jackson's major first major move as GM was trading Tyson Chandler and Felton um, to the Mavs for Jose Calderon, the immortal Sam D'Alembert, Wayne Ellington, by the way, still relatively young Wayne Ellington, Um, Shane Larkin. We all love love Shane Larkin. Um, And then the uh, picks that would become Thanasis and Titacumpo and Clay Anthony early selected uh, over uh, Nikola Jokic, by the way. You want to Um, talk about somebody that Knicks fans were excited about that didn't matter? Clay Anthony early. Drank drank all the Uh Kool-Aid. Any and all Kool-Aid that was available for me to drink, uh, I, I consumed it. So presumably they do not draft or they do not make that specific trade because they'd have Kyle Lowry and there would be no need to upgrade big air quote energy here, upgrade at point guard to Jose Calderon. Um, 
But there was also the thing about Chandler and Mello in the locker room. Again, it all comes back to Mello that like Mello wouldn't resign if Chandler was still here. Don't tell me I'm the only one who remembers this. I thought they were tight. I didn't realize that there was a rift. Uh, there, oh, there, okay. I vaguely recall that there was a falling I out. Of sorts. A falling out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that I there mean, was what did Tyson Chandler do after he left? So if anything, um, get on mellow. Yeah, know? no, that um, he, it was probably right to trade him. But maybe maybe. So let's just say this. Maybe there's a different trade that gets made um, and or there's a different return or something. And like it's not Calderon and it's just, you know, and then how do they fill out the rest of the roster? Um, you know, Ch- Tyson Chandler was making a, a good deal of money at that time. I don't know who else they could have traded him for, who else may have wanted him. Um, it, yeah, that's the that's the that's the tough part for me. I, I just don't because that the that roster to really this is the answer to the question is like that roster in 1415. And this really is the best defensive mellow. That roster was atrocious. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were really bad. Like they had Langston Galloway, rookie year Langston Galloway. Um, but it's just it's just it's not what you want. So. And then the only and this we can wrap up mellow talk after this. The only other thing I'll say is. What followed that 14-15 season was then two straight seasons of Phil Jackson trying to play like division by not even division by subtraction, but like divide and advance like like he used to do in the 90s, where it's like, I'll turn Scotty against Michael and then I'll turn the media against them. And then he had KP and he wanted to well around KP. I actually don't know if it was that simple. He, but he was doing it from up top and not in the locker room is my point. He was like, you need to run the triangle, but I'm going to go live in California and you need to do this. And Charlie Rosen, write an article for a website that doesn't exist anymore. And it it was all nonsense. So like the dysfunction that then like gave him a no trade clause. And then everybody's asking him, why does Melo not want to rave his no trade clause? Because you gave it to me. I'd want to win here. You know, we want to rebuild around KP, but we're going to sign Joe Kim Noah to $72 million and Courtney Lee to 50 something million dollars and trade for Derrick Rose. You know, I I once saw Phil Jackson at a bar during a Knicks game uh, across the street from a Broadway (laughs) theater in January of 2015. Uh, Very tall, actually kind of a handsome fellow up close. But uh, yeah, he was just he was there with uh, with Jeannie and two other folks. They were just sitting at a table at the at the bar. Can I, ask I went a to see once the musical right after. Yes. Was he up? watching the game at least? No, there was, was no TV the in the bar. Watching it was, it was, there was no it was TV. A, it was in a theater the bar. bar. It was a theater bar. I think he went to the same showing of once on Broadway after it was like the last week once was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that that was uh, my my close encounter with Phil Jackson, who was very, very committed to the New York Knickerbockers. Uh-huh. I thought you were about to say very, very committed to the uh, cocktail in front of him. Two things. One, no, I think he is... was going through them very quickly. It was just oh, okay. a real <laughs> two things. Spring, one... spring break vibe. Once is as good as you said, by the way. I finally watched it. It's very good. There's a yes! movie once that. Oz recommended, which is a theme of final review. Oz recommends a movie I've never seen. Hey, it's actually pretty good. Um, and the revisionist history, some have tried with Phil Jackson and his tenure here. I was my, my trump card, my my final word. I feel like the the argument against anyone that wants to say the Phil Jackson era wasn't that bad. Cause like they've said, like, oh, he wanted to trade Porzingis for Devin Booker. And then where would we be? Hi, hi Yash. 
fell asleep <laughs> in the Donovan Mitchell workout. That's all I have to say. Was it Donovan con- Mitchell's on. in front of him. Was it confirmed that that was the workout he fell asleep in front of? Donovan I never saw Mitchell that said he fell asleep in my oh, workout. Yeah, like, I did. I've never seen that. That's yeah, news to me. Okay, that's like anyone that's like, oh, we took Frank over Donovan Mitchell. Well, we can blame Phil Jackson for that. So, I, yeah, I like Donovan yeah. Mitchell. <laughs> I, listen, I don't. I don't I tend to like Donovan def- Mitchell too. I, I don't go around defending Phil Jackson, uh, nor will I. He was that was not the job he was suited for. Um, he might not have been suited for that job when he was thirty-five, let alone when he was ninety. Whenever it was when he took the job, I think he has a uh, lot more in common basketball-wise with Isaiah's tenure than people want to admit. Want to admit is what I'll say. Different. The man, the man was very happy the checks cleared. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Leon Rose is getting paid more than him, by the way. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow, I did not expect to have a whole mellow uh, <laughs> conversation on this episode. Um, but it's a it's a good transition because we uh, so Oz before you were mentioning um, some uh, savory ways to look at Carmelo Anthony um, and his playing tenure and why certain people don't necessarily um, hold him in, in the highest regard. Um, Andrew, you mentioned another player, Allen Iverson, who I, don't, I think is probably not terribly saber friendly. If I That's had true. to guess. That's true. The um, tricky one, I think is Kobe because every uh, NBA player swears by Kobe and anybody that like us, that like we never played, obviously. So we're looking at it from a certain perspective and Kobe has a lot of those long twos that a lot of us with basketball so, reference hate me uh, speak for yourself. I was the starting center on my eighth grade uh, team, <laughs> despite being the, the smallest kid on the team. So I know you. I, listen, uh, I know I don't look it. I played four years varsity. I won a couple intramural games uh, in college. I unfortunately uh, wrestled in high school. So that didn't help. But uh, yeah, um, I played on my eighth grade team. Allegedly. Um, yeah, I, I've never reported to be an athlete. So maybe Kobe is the proper analog for 
the Dark Knight because mm. there are people I am sure who listen to your guys' podcast today and wanted to throw things and commit violent acts against uh, small animals um, at the just utterly preposterous things that were coming out of Bernard Ozerowski's mouth about this movie, which redefined cinema and which there should be. They should build another Los Angeles just so they could put a Hall of Fame to this movie um, in it um, because it is the greatest. It's obviously better than Goodfellas, right? Because it's higher on the IMDb um, 250 list. Um, if you say a bad thing about and look, Kobe Bryant, may he rest in peace. We, we all love Kobe Bryant here, but yeah. using, using him as, as like there are things when you say if you say a bad basketball word about Kobe Bryant, people will people just lose their shit. Mm -hmm. Um Whereas, you know, I think there are very sound arguments again to Bernard's many points that he made on the on the on your guys podcast today about the Dark Knight that like, look, it's a as you said, you have it as an eight out of ten. It's a four star movie. Very good movie. Does it is, is like is is Kobe in the same breath as LeBron and Michael Jordan? I, I would argue not. And I would argue that there are there is data that supports that argument. So I, I just I think it's interesting how like where content is right now, the two things that the most like content that drives content the most are sports and movies. I, I, is that fair to say by far? Yeah, definitely. And both, both conversations about both of those things. And I am, I'm going to say actually particularly basketball because I feel like the, the dichotomy of like the, the analytics community in basketball versus the like, Oh, this guy's not a real hooper community um, in basketball is very unique to that sport. And there's also the similar dichotomy in in movies. And uh, I don't know. I just find that interesting. I'm curious to hear you guys thoughts about it. I think you're tapping into something really smart there because there's I think fan culture might be the right word, both in basketball mm -hmm. and in movies where there's a sort of sanctification of certain players and or films where any questioning or quibbling of said player is taken as a personal insult. And in effect, if you dare to say that, I don't know, Kobe's the 15th best player to ever walk the earth, it's roughly the equivalent of saying, I don't know, Zack Snyder has some flaws in his filmmaking to certain elements. I was wondering where you were going to go. <laughs> I mean, I got to go with the, the favorite, the favorite uh, target here. Look, I, I, I don't want to get into a giant dark night thing, but I really I think that that's exactly right. There are there are easy ways to look at thing Kobe to look at things. Kobe is an aesthetically pleasing player. He's exciting. He personally is an interesting, fascinating character to follow throughout his career. And there's a there's an element to all sports fandom where you embrace these people. We all want to see the best in Frank and RJ because they seem like good guys. They seem like people that we want to spend our time rooting for. Like, look, J.R. Smith is fun and all that, but like. Nobody is living and dying by the arc of J.R. Smith's career. It's someone like RJ that you want to that you want to invest in. And Speak I, know for you, I, know, I know, I know. Macri has so many pipe shirts, but uh, look, I, 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 it's only one. I'm surprised. I only have one. Pipe <laughs> but um, look, I, I just I, I think you, you you've you've really hit on something here, which is that there are deeper ways to look at things and there are more diverse ways to look at things. I mean, you could look at a player based on the sort of gut feel of Kobe fucking rocks, or you can look at the metrics, read up on scouting, read what his peers think and kind of take a more holistic view of things. And I think filmmaking is much the same way. There's sort of, I look at it as, you know, almost like three or four things that you can look at. There's the craft of filmmaking. 
by how well-made something is. There's the skill of the actors and what they do as storytellers. There's the writing and the plotting. And then there's also the sort of fun feel factor. The MCU movies get get shit on as not cinema because they're really good at the fun factor and don't necessarily give a shit about some of the other things. And I just really, I I think it's got to be a balance of all of those component elements. And really, it's got to be the same thing when you're analyzing any player in any sport. There's got to be a balance of sort of the gut feel. We saw it on baseball with Jeter, with Jeter Hall of Fame this week. It's been yet another relitigation of that because he's the ultimate gut feel player with quibbles on the Sabre side. Um, Yeah, I think you've, you've really... If you've hit right on to something about the intersection of sports and film fandom. Before I get to Andrew, I was I was thinking about this when I was listening to your pod today, because uh, Bernard, you're and look, I don't you, you could think Dark Knight's the greatest movie ever. I don't know how you defend the last. What is it? Half hour of the movie? 35 minutes of the movie. I mean, if, Andrew, you even. I, I that's the, well, I'll, I'll let you finish. And then well, I'll, no, but my, my point yeah. is that, like, for Bernard, that holds him back and putting the movie where, where others do for you. The Heath Ledger of it all is like, you're like, I don't really give a shit. (laughs) I I understand. But by that point, the movie had transported me to a certain place because of this otherworldly thing that I'm watching that you could watch movies for, you know, a decade and not see something like this. Like that was enough for you. And I think it made it a great discussion because I don't think either of you are, are wrong. I think you both, both are justified. Whereas with, with sports, I wonder it, if like it feels like there should be a right and a wrong, but maybe that's just my the way my brain works because it's different. It's like one thing is art and the other thing is I don't know what sports is, but it's not it's not art, is it? Or maybe it is art. I don't, well, I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I think you're getting to, to peak versus longevity again, which fits every sports arc of how you look at things. And I, I think maybe I am waiting longevity here a little bit. And I, I think I said on the podcast that I'll, if I didn't, I'll say it now. The first hour and a half of that movie is like a 10 out of 10 for me. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking good. And then the plot of that movie shifts. I assume that everyone has seen The Dark Knight, so I don't think we need to play games spoiler here. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> Spo- yes. Spoiler alert movie for made 13 year old movie. Yeah. Uh, but when Maggie Gyllenhaal dies, the movie shifts in a really significant way. And for me, it's just not a very good movie in the last 45 minutes. It's like a Saw movie with the stupid bombs on the boat. It's very dumb. That was a good call. Um, and I, I just, for me, it really hurts my overall appreciation of it. And I, I can't, I can't go nuts over someone who says, you know what? It gave you an hour and a half of joy. Shut the fuck up and be happy with that. I can't, I can't go nuts over that. <laughs> Andrew, you should have actually that, said that. That, that was, was Andrew's point. But yeah. we're, we're, we're also, we're, our, look, the gimmick of the pot is that we're, we're ranking greatness. We're not comparing the dark night to Jonah Hex. We're comparing the dark night to Goodfellas. Like we're talking about the greatest movies ever made here. So the quibbles matter because I don't, I don't think the last 45 minutes of Goodfellas is dog shit. I don't think the last 45 minutes of the Godfather part two blows. So when we're going to compare those sorts of things, it really fucking matters. It, you hit on something though, there. Um, because with the ranking greatness thing, like I could sit here and make an argument that goodness, Moses Malone is a better basketball player than Kobe Bryant. Right. I could, I can finagle that. I mean, I, I I'm not going to, cause I'm, I don't even know that I believe that, but like, I'm sure there's an argument that can be made based on like analytics and, and whatnot, or even like Hakeem Elijah one or something. But when you're ranking greatness, 
I do think you actually need to take into account the stuff that can't be quantified, which, Andrew, I think is what you were getting at on the pod, right? A little bit. And this goes to back when remember when the last dance came out and that's all we had to watch yeah. um this goes back to <laughs> I, my i whole, did five podcasts with John i know <laughs> i know who i Oz, we didn't even know each other at that point you, i just we, knew we, we, you, you i heard just me knew say crazy drunken shit what i was listening to is like hey i'd like to have a conversation with this person <laughs> anyway um the whole idea of goat versus boat that the goat conversation's over michael jordan will always have that because greatness isn't just like ability to play basketball greatness implies accomplishment greatness implies like did you matter to your era and nobody will ever reach the highest height like michael jordan did i don't think ever like basketball mattered in a different way in the 90s than anybody else did it's why that's the case for kobe kobe's legacy i'm sorry if you're a kobe stand you're hearing this and you're offended but like there's no basketball argument for him to be the greatest of all time. There's no basketball argument that he's ahead of LeBron James. And if you bring up the championships, Shaquille O'Neal is my counterpoint. Kobe's legacy, it transcends basketball. He taught a generation of people to work hard. The reason we see all of these gym rats, these guys that spend their entire offseason working on their game is because the moment Kobe won a championship, the next day he was having an eight hour uh, practice. How about Julie? Uh, the, the pictures uh, we're seeing of, of Julius Randall. Yeah. That's, that's Kobe. That's Mamba. Ment- that's Mamba right. mentality. Exactly. Uh, just one thing. Academy Award winner, Kobe Bryant. We, Kobe should, Bryant, we should keep that go. accurate here. There we related to movies. There you go. Um, although we'll never get to see those awards presented on screen anymore. But that's a whole different conversation. Oh, the, we're, getting, we're getting deep cuts. At yeah. The Oscars. There, there we go. The wait, point wait, is, wait, hold on. What? So the there, Oscar. Remember yeah. when I told you what the ratings of the Oscars were and how low they were? I think I saw a news story in this and I didn't read it. So I'm going to be uh, learning something in real time. The, Can you know the worst? The worst. You knew this. Yeah, it's very bad. It's like so, 40 percent of the next highest show is their viewership this year. They did like 10 million viewers. Oh, wait, I, I knew that. But they're, you're saying they're making some kind of changes or yes, whatever? Big ones. The big ones that they uh, the big ones, I think, is just that all the shorts and some of the smaller awards are now going to be presented off screen. They're oh, going to so try and make this. it more okay. tele- television uh, pleasing. Okay. Um, anyway, that's the, what you're saying. The point being uh, to avoid an even bigger rabbit trail of the industry and why we didn't do a movie podcast. You did a niche movie podcast. Um, The bigger point is like for the dark night, what I enjoy about it, like I what I've enjoyed, but what I enjoy about the dark night, um, I'm able to then ignore some of the things I agree with Oz on, because that's I think at the end of the day, what the conclusion we came in up to is that like, yeah, there's some superhero bullshit in that movie. There is yeah. some stuff that you're supposed to, if you're watching a movie that is clearly make believe, you're supposed to turn your brain off and be like, all right, superhero bullshit, whatever. This is fun. And then the Heath Ledger character actually transcends the superhero bullshit and is like, oh, no, this is something I've never seen before and changes every bad guy in every movie going forward, yeah. which is the conversation of best versus greatest like if we're supposed to take the dark knight and not compare it to the entire mcu and spider-man 2 but we're comparing it to the greatest movies of all time then this is what we have to compare it to and if we're comparing kobe bryant to michael jordan and lebron james and people who have resumes that are better then we have to nitpick but if you're just able to ignore that and say like his impact on a generation of basketball players matters more then like that's your prerogative. And it's why Oz and I being able to agree to disagree, because 
Ozil, I haven't even talked to you about this yet, but the feedback I've gotten of today's episode is oh, I can't wait to hear this. Well, there are some people who are not offended by Oz's stance on the Dark Knight, specifically on Christian Bale. Shout but, out to the guy who said I should be final reviewed for yeah. throw up or something. <laughs> but like the 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 one thing that the one piece of feedback I got that I was like, you know what, damn it, that's our show. Like that's exactly the point is I see where he's coming from, but I completely disagree, which that's the point. Oz is never going to come with me with an uninformed take. It's always going to be like, like your take on Christian Bale. I disagree with it, but like, I get it. This It doesn't work for you. How much he, how method he gets into the weight he loses. He just, he disappears, but you don't like like some so, of the things he disappears into. I, it works for me though. And that is where, so the, being subjective matters. So the 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 thing you just said, it works for you. I mean, uh, I, we're, we're not going to get into the ways to quantify the success of a movie, fucking Rocket and Tomatoes or like box office or whatever. At the end of the day, the movie works if you go into the movie and you leave with a smile or, or I, that's even an over like it, it, it did the thing that it was supposed to do. Make you that excited. Was, make you, that make was you... time well spent. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you it, was, it, it, it did something for you as opposed to you sat there and, and felt nothing or whatever. Um, that's different than sports because in sports, the goal is to is to beat the team that you're playing. And for all due respect to the conversation we just had about like, yes, when you rank basketball players or players in any sports, like there is a there is a larger than life element that you need to consider like where, where I think the conversation where, where I have the most difficulty and it's it, this this to me is like trying to talk about a Zack Snyder movie with people who adore Zack Snyder movies is when you get people on like when you get into conversations, not about Kobe or Mello, but about like lesser players who are not that high profile and you get like. Well, you get the frank conversations, right? Or you get the flip side of that and you get conversations about, I'm trying to think of like, who's a showboaty player that just like the analytics community thinks, oh, hey, Russell Westbrook, right? Oh, yeah, that's good. There you go. Like there, there are people out there, maybe some people on this podcast who think that Russell Westbrook is like actively detrimental to a team's effort to win basketball games okay. and <laughs> would not want anything to do with him when there are other people who are like, you don't respect with this person. Like this person is one of the greatest players of all time. And it's still great today. Do you not see points and rebounds and assists and the snarl? Do you not see the snarl? Like to me, <laughs> Russell Westbrook's snarl is Zach. That's Zach. I think Zach Snyder is actually directing <laughs> Russell Westbrook when he makes his like, you know, histrionic faces or whatever bullshit that he does. Um, it, that's to me where, it gets into places where like, I don't want to have those conversations because it's, it doesn't lead to productive places for me at least. And it's where it's hilarious when people bring up Russ around like the, the Patreon pod we just did. I knew you weren't going to take Russ when we were doing an all decades draft. I thought about it because he wasn't always this. He was more productive. He's never been a winning player. He made it. To the conference finals, or actually, with Kevin Durant, with Kevin Durant and James Harden, he was never the best player on the team. He was no, the second it, best player on the team that went and lost to the Heat. Yes, but yeah, that's but, an accomplishment. There haven't been that many guys in NBA history who could fine. say they were the second best player on a finals team. That's a that's that's fine. a significant accomplishment. I think 
it, the evidence is in what's happened to players when they leave Russell Westbrook and how much better they do than the because like again I, I I hate sometimes when like I'm just a dude on a podcast saying Russell Westbrook's not good or but like it's documented literally on precedent of everybody that leaves Russell Westbrook goes yeah. someplace else and achieves individual success and team success. Um, it is just hilarious how like this year it's to the point where you won't even call the Lakers a super team. They're not. I, are they going to be the best record in the West? No, actually, no, they're, they're a playoff terror, but they're not going to be the best record in the West. They're going to load manage the oh, hell I'm, out of that thing. I'm vice versa yeah. on this. I think the fact that they got Russ means that like, like what's happened in Brooklyn and that those guys can maybe honestly now you now you got me thinking that maybe because they'll load manage like my concerns about the Le- Lakers are way LeBron's more on the playoffs take 12 yeah. games off with a hamstring or something like that around right, you might be able break. to survive that with if you have two of them on the court at all times though during the yeah. regular season you might still get 60 wins out of it my concern is in the playoffs when a team says all right Russ has to shoot we're making him do that can the Lakers adjust like the like the Rockets weren't able to, like the Thunder weren't able to, and obviously I don't even know what to quantify about the Wizard series, but like I think in the playoffs I'm concerned about like I think if if there's a world where come why comes back healthy, they can scheme a way to beat the Lakers next year. If Jamal Murray comes back healthy, maybe there's a way they can scheme to to yeah. make Russ shoot. Like the playoffs, the short sample size is where it matters. During the regular season, I think they're actually built to win 60 games accidentally. That's their how they want to go about the regular season is their choice. But like they're not a super team because like Russ he's (laughs) he's not that level of player. Like what I don't that's not a hot take. I mean you you would take Chris Bosch over Russell Westbrook. I know I would. Is there any real Oh my God! Over the over the four years that Chris Bosh was on Miami, yeah, over the Miami era, Miami era, at late Toronto, Miami era Bosh. That's not even a conversation. That's that's all. So I, he was still I mean, playing like a Hall of Famer. He was in his prime. That, that that seems to me a good case. They're not a super team if they don't have the third piece. Are the Bucks a super team? No. no. Uh, then you're consistent. Never mind. Then you're consistent. Yeah. No, okay. there's one super team in the league right now, and okay, sadly, no, 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 plays you're, you're consistent about on a mile it. away from where I live now. Um, Literally, I walked it the other day. It <laughs> <laughs> was great. Yeah, um, that's a super team. Um, yeah, but that's yeah. I don't know how many. I, you're consistent now. I see what you mean. Okay, I have them as a super team, but I guess my standards for super team are a little like lower. I, that's all. I don't even know. I don't even know that the Celtics of like 2008 through 2010 would I define as a super team. Okay. To me, a super team Ray is Allen where you shade. Com- yeah. Ray Allen or, or just or just all Ray John Rondo shade. When the when the when the Suffolk Scott Ray Allen, he was he was a he was on the older side. He was a top twenty five ish player in the league, twenty top twenty, top twenty, top twenty, top twenty five. Um but like the days of him being, if he was ever an elite shot creator, like that's the thing. I don't, I don't look at Ray Allen as ever having, I know he averaged like 25 points a game for, I don't know, a handful of years, two years, three years, five years, something like that. But like, he was never looked at as like, and you know, he was never on Iverson's level or even like uh, quite frankly, Marbury's level in terms of like what he was able to do with the ball. He was a different kind of animal. Like super teams to me are teams where you combine 
three players who are in at that point in their career able to carry an offense and do so like respectively. Um, so like, I don't know. I feel like I can count the amount of super teams I've watched in my life on one hand. Like Brooklyn is one. I do think the heat qualify. Yeah. Definitely. Um, easily. The warriors, but they were different um, because they had Durant and, and Curry. And then like the rest of it made it to like Curry and Durant were enough, like two of them, yeah. but they were a super team. The Warriors and people hate when we use this word around the Warriors, but they were a super system. They figured something out that like changed the league forever, which then people think, oh, so you think Steph is a system player? No, but they had two of the, the three best offensive players in the sport. at one The time. system was you were not mathematically going to be able to beat us unless you take 100 threes a game. And lo and behold, nobody did until Durant and Clay both got hurt in a seven game series. Boy, that sounds a lot like someone taking Belichick over Brady in 2021, doesn't it? I mean, I have not conceded the Belichick mattered than Brady argument while seeing that Brady went to a team that was loaded and everybody wanted to go there, you know, and if Matt LaFleur just goes for it on fourth down, who knows wow. what happens? Wow. That Bucks team. Wow. Anyway, we are now officially off the rails. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to just go with three. Um, and that's my, that's going to be my final answer. I don't think there yeah, was any. That. Yeah. Let's finish up with um, producer's corner. Andrew, yeah. You have anything? So this is a bit of a somber note, but it, it doesn't make sense not to at least mention that when you're hearing this, it's 9-10. It's September 10th, 2021. And tomorrow is the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. And we are three gentlemen in our 30s. Um, some of our lower 30s, some of them almost pushing 40. But, you know, who's who's counting? Um I figure we should reflect a little bit on that day in 2001. Where were you? And what 20 years later, what the it's weird to say legacy because it's obvious what that legacy it, it is the moment in history books that we were all now there for. It's weird to hear people like Chris's age or even my brother's age talk about like learning about 9-11 in their history books. Like, yeah, I missed school for like two days. It was terrifying. Um, so, John, I guess we'll start with oh. you, your recollection of September 11, 2001. Um, yeah, I mean, I was uh, asleep because I didn't have cl- I didn't have class that morning and uh, I was in my dorm. Uh, You're in Aaron. college. Yes, I was in college, freshman in college. My buddy Aaron, who I think you both know, um, burst into the dorm room and he was like, turn on the TV, um, turn it on. I think the second tower had been hit by that point. I'm just like, what the fuck's going on? Uh, I was dating a girl whose dad worked at uh, he was a, com- a commodity commodities broker, something, but he worked in world trade. So like many people that morning, I spent my morning uh, just trying to get through on the phone to see where he was. He ended up being stuck in traffic, so he was fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was in a I was in a dorm with like a bunch of 19, 18, 19 year old guys who were talking about, oh, I'm going to join the Marines and the army and go off to war and all of that kind of talk that that was, I remember that distinctly. There were people going up on a roof to watch the smoke. Um, and you were in the Bronx cause you were in Fordham, right? Was, yeah. I was in the Bronx and Fordham. Um, and I just, it was, you know, you, you realize in the moment you're experiencing a defining event, the, the defining event. I think actually, I don't know if I realized if I was, exp- I mean, I realized I was, I was experiencing something that was going, that was like, 
it was surreal. Um, I've never, there's never, I've, I, I'm sure there's an argument for some other event in my lifetime that is on par with that. I don't think it's probably a good one. I mean, that is, that is the defining event of our generation. Um, and it's just, it, it hovered over everything for years. And I guess the last thing I'll say is that like, I remember the patriotism that was in the immediate aftermath and uh, how that slowly we don't have to get we're not getting into a political discussion on this podcast but like that slowly dissipated over the years and that was i remember like always thinking about like man remember how much everybody loved this country after 9-11 we're willing to do anything for this guy and then that kind of just changed and life goes on and things happen and again we don't have to talk about them on the show but um yeah that's my memory that's what i think of when i think of 9-11 and of course all the people who lost their lives yeah oz so I was a, a junior in high school when it happened and I went to boarding school. So I was actually in school just outside of DC uh, when it happened. And that morning I, I was a student prefect. So I had a TV in my room, which most people didn't. And I, I, for whatever reason, I don't think I had a first period class that day. And I remember I was sitting in my room watching the news sort of flabbergasted. And I went to my chemistry class um, that I was supposed to at whatever time and, you know, told some people who had not heard yet or had only heard like the faintest rumblings. Cause these are pre pre cell phones for everyone and smartphones and everything like that. And I remember about 10 minutes into the class, we were all called. So school Georgetown prep it was a school of 440 guys um, we were all called to the auditorium for, you know, a, a, an announcement thing. And they told us that, you know, the, what had happened at the World Trade Center. They told us all this other crazy stuff that ended up not being true, but it was a day of misinformation, the likes of mm. which I don't think we've ever seen. I think they told us a car bomb went off in front of the Capitol, that a plane was shot down on the way to the White House. Just all sorts of crazy stuff um, came came through and, you know, they canceled school. Folks went home and I was stuck in my dorm room um, and a bunch of us were. And I, I remember um, me and a couple of other guys hatched this scheme to try to sneak out and go to NIH to try to give blood because we thought that would be a good idea. And that was uh, eventually quashed by some of the adults who were in charge. But, you know, I, I, I think, John, you really tapped into something that there was a real sort of, um, you know, one for all mentality yeah. that yeah. took hold for a little while. And that was a, in a lot of ways, obviously some bad came of it too, but in a lot of ways, there was a, a, a good moment of coming together that yeah. uh, I, I I will miss. And I can remember specifically going to sporting events after and, you know, the new metal detectors and pat downs, but there was oh a, a sense of this is, we're going to put up with this and then we're going to go chant USA and go watch our baseball game. Were you at game three? No, I, the I George was. George Bush pitch game? Nope. Watched I was it there. On, I watched it on TV. I was at Cal Ripken's last game because of it, which was a similar thing. Yeah. I remember seeing snipers on the roof at Camden Yards and thinking it was just the most surreal thing you could imagine. Um, but that 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 really for me, I, I you know, it's almost you think of the for me at least the one of the things that flashes my mind is the the Springsteen album that uh, the Rising that came out later that year, which it just oh, yeah. it, it's this yeah. sort of moment that for me captures a lot of the positive. I don't want to say positive, but that's really the only word that comes to mind, the positive feelings and sensations that come out of such an otherwise horrible occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, so I was in eighth grade just to make you feel really young. 
Um, me really old. Excuse me. Um, I was in my private school and uh, I excused myself as I tended to do to uh, you know how you like ask for a hall pass to go to the bathroom and then you just like go to the oh, bath, you, go, go to the bathroom on the other side of the school. <laughs> so that way, like, oh, you're where were you? Kid. I was in the bathroom. Yes, I'm, I was very much that kid. It's why I was C's get degrees, John. Anyway, um, I went to like the bathroom on the other side of the school, which was near the chapel. Um, and I heard the, a news telecast being played in the auditorium like okay what's going on in there and i walked in just to like peek to see what was going on and all of the teachers were in the back kind of white-faced and just in shock of what they were watching and i saw the first tower collapse on screen oh and i was like like what are what movie are they watching this what what in the world is on my screen right now the screen goes blank and I hear an announcement that all secondary students are to report to the auditorium for an emergency assembly where they then told us what happened. And no. I knew my dad. So I knew my dad worked in the city. I It's one of those things where you just, oh, yeah, dad works there. And I just had never put two and two together oh, where, okay. he, where he could be in the city is he uptown, downtown. Ironically, he had been out of work and had been going on interviews and a month earlier interviewed for an IT job in the South Tower. Oh, so wow. in August. And so like immediately and this is again, everybody pre cell phones. We are there is a line for the payphone in my school and three girls ahead of me. She had a, a father that was um, that was a, a firefighter. And they hadn't been able to get in contact with them for like hours. So she like collapsed at the payphone and left. And then I didn't want to make a phone call. I was very much 13 and wanted to be like, I'm not ready to even call home to find out. Um, My cousin, who was a senior, picked me up and my cousin and took me home to be like, we're leaving school now. And when I got home, my dad was sitting on my front porch. And that was like the first time I knew he was okay. And then the day started to like hit me like, holy cow. Like apparently he was, it's ironic. He was actually on like right off the cross Island when he got the call from my mom to turn around and come home, Okay, which is now I live off the cross Island, which is, you know, little, little weird sequitur there. But um, yeah, the, the all for one and one for all that you guys are talking about. It is mind blowing to tell people in 2021 that all of Congress, as divided as we are now, all of Congress on 9-11 stood on the front steps of the Capitol building and sang God bless America together. Now, it's also weird when you look at the actions of the administration then that George Bush then went out in his first presidential address after 9-11 and condemned the treatment of Islam and, and people um who uh, people of color that uh, that are Muslims and that yeah. Islam is peace and the radical terrorists that did this are not our Muslim brothers and sisters. They are, uh, are not to be mistreated. They are Americans and we should deserve to be united yeah. in this front. And that is the immediate way that I thought everybody had a USA hat. Everybody. We were Americans in that time. We were united in that time. And yeah, it quickly faded. But um yeah, the fear of can this ever happen again? That 
Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember like the that. sense of security that you yeah. got because yeah. like all that all that stuff happens over there, which just disappeared. Like well, it was gone, you know, and I can only imagine being closer to the city or even Oz in D.C., how much worse it was for you guys. Well, there, there was an there was an now you're bringing me back. There was an unknown. I mean, spend a lot more time on this, but very briefly, there was an unknown of like any day you left your house. If you were going to a place where there's going to be a lot of people, it's like, is this is this like the next target? Which <laughs> reminds me of the other event of our lifetime, which could be the defining event, which is the one we're in fucking right now. Um, and uh, the similar feeling of like, what's the next variant? And like, when's mm-hmm. the next when's the next shutdown going to be? Um, which again, we don't have to get into that. The, the only other thing I will say is it is it, I, and I, as I have a feeling you may share this feeling. I don't know about you, Andrew. It blows my mind. It blew my mind when I started to interact with people. Uh, I, this was a feeling I got my second, my first year of teaching actually when I taught a, a lesson on nine eleven, and I was I, and kids didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're you're kidding, right? Like this is the defining event of our lifetime. I'm like, oh wait, no, they were born like that year or the year after or whatever. And like they don't fucking care about this. Like why would I mean? I, that's an overgeneralization. I'm sure some people cared about it to a certain degree, but like it was it was it was so overarching in every way, and it dominated our collective thoughts for so in such a way for so long. Um, yeah. So then. That, that was probably my first experience of feeling old when I talked, you know, when you talk to young people and they're like, I what 9-11 doesn't mean anything to me, you know, and just, yeah. Yeah. You know, doing the math right now and it's, it's it, maybe for people, our generation, I think this might give a little perspective, but we were all closer in age to the first landing on the first landing on the moon than kids born today are to 9-11. Yeah which is crazy to think about, but it, it, it gives a little historical perspective. I mean, I, you know, my parents, of course, you know, remember where they were. My aunts yeah. and uncles remember where they were for the moonwalk. And that's just not a thing that exists in my brain. And we don't care about that. It's, it's I mean, I, I named my daughter Astra after the Apollo <laughs> one, motto, so I care, but no one else gives a shit. You're um, weird. I know. <laughs> but uh, no, but be, be serious. I, I think, it, it's really crazy to think the way sort of the, the flow of time and the way that, you know, the perhaps the defining thing of all of our young adult lives is, you know, it's going to be COVID or January 6th for uh, this current generation. And it's really no. I worry or hesitate to think what it's going to be 20 years from now. <laughs> I, I've thought about how people are going to teach about the pandemic. I've, I've I'm very curious. As to, I mean, look, as we get older and we, discovered the probably American. teaching into a fucking screen well yeah, maybe going. it won't be post pandemic is what you're saying <laughs> um the only other thing i'll add is like i like I've, I've mentioned before i went to school in virginia and going down there it was interesting my first 9-11 there and understanding that like someone who grew up in michigan or someone who grew up in uh, uh, North Carolina, like nine oh. eleven, doesn't hit as hard for them. So right. it was almost as if it felt more personal. Nine eleven, as the years have gone by, like this for what happened to us. You know, my my uncle who has since passed away, but he was under a car because he lived in Midtown and he Noah. was like out getting a bagel and saw he was one of the people that was went down to see what was happening at the towers. And hid under her car after one of the collapses. My aunt, 
um, like was on her way into work, worked in one of the world trades, but turned around and went home. My dad was on his way to I think he was headed to Long Island City, but like would have been across the water from yeah. everything. And I think there are so many people like that lucky enough to say almost. And there's yeah. just obviously we know far too many people that that weren't so lucky that day. Um yeah, the, the I mean, you mentioned going to Cal Ripken's last game. I had tickets to a Mets game that week that then got rescheduled to the last week of the season. And I remember walking into Shea Stadium and seeing like every all the the American garb everywhere, obviously, and the the yep. World Trade Center flag being flown in center field, but also being like looking over your shoulder every pitch, like okay, what's what's happening? Yeah. Like, are we allowed That's, to be here? Are we allowed to go out and be safe again? And it's it's adding on to how we I, feel in 2021. It's a similar feeling in a way that you literally ate it on. That's yeah. You know, all right. Well, yeah. we will uh, we shall uh, dedicate this episode to uh, all the people who lost their lives in 9-11. And uh, if you're listening to this and you um, were close to someone or knew someone who uh, unfortunately falls into that camp, um, shout out to you. All right, let's go out to you. And uh, yeah, never forget. Um, as it were, Never um, and, and on that note, smooth podcasting transition, uh, guys, <laughs> anything, you, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Oz, plug it. Let me plug hear it. you. All right. So everyone, hear how good please, you are. This, Oz. Please subscribe, rate, review, final review. It's available wherever podcasts are found. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, wherever else. Please follow final review pod on Twitter. Uh, please follow me at Oz on movies on Twitter. And it's in soft launch beta testing now, but launching October 1st is the Invention of Dreams, which is going to be a, uh, a very interesting new way to engage with film writing. And perhaps some, some folks on this podcast right now will be involved in the future of that project. Mm. I wonder who that could be, because it's definitely not me. Um, <laughs> I uh, will... you're, you're the media editor. So. Exactly. I, oh, so technically, <laughs> technically I am. Okay. Um, I'm I will just second everything Oz said. Um, and just, you know, to my Knicks family, thank you for all of the support so far. This has been pretty yeah. cool to kind of start from scratch with something. And, you know, I think the, the fear, Oz, I don't know if you felt this, but the fear, the anticipation of day one and episode one drop, or even just like the announcement of the pod, once we announce it, now it's out of our hands. So, like we can think it's great. We can think what we're working on is awesome. Now that it's out into the ether and to hear the positive feedback, it, it is really encouraging. And, you know, episode three drops on Thursday. If you haven't it, also, if you want to check out the social network or the dark night, both episodes, but you want to watch the movie first. Uh, the dark night, the entire dark night trilogy is now playing on HBO Max. And I believe the social network is still on Netflix, if not on Peacock at the moment, Oz. I know it's on Peacock at least. Okay. Well, I apologize. Awesome for making, that it I was going to say, I apologize for making you go to Peacock, but you can watch the movie there and then come on over to our episodes. Uh, we will announce every show, every at the end of every show, we play the score that is a hint for what the following week is. And if you miss it or haven't gotten to it yet, Every Monday on our Twitter account, we drop a trailer for whatever movie we're doing that week and new episodes every Thursday. And I'll just finish up by saying, um, I don't know how other people feel. Again, I'm very old and my habits reflect that. But like for me, starting a new podcast is like 
dating someone new uh, back when I used to do such things. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot for me to actually download and hit play. <laughs> and like, I'm going to give this thing a chance. Um, if anybody else feels that way, I, I hear you. Um, I obviously was always going to listen to your podcast because it's you guys. Um, but I cannot say this strongly enough. If you have even it, literally any interest in movies or the history of movies, just, or just like sitting and watching a movie, you're going to love this podcast. Uh, I can't recommend enough. Uh, give it a shot. Uh, final review. And uh, of course, uh, thanks for listening to this podcast, the next film school podcast, where we uh, continue to hopefully put out good conversations as we wait. How many days till media day? Was it September 9th? Uh, as we just said, it was September 10th today. Media day, I think is going to be the 28th. So we're like two and a half weeks away. We can do it, John. We got we can do it. Don't worry. There. <laughs> All right, that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Next Film School podcast. As always, if you dig the show, uh, feel free. Go give it a five-star rating uh, on iTunes. Subscribe. Leave a positive comment. Uh, you can even make fun of me in the comment. I don't care as long as it's overly positive. And we'll get other people to subscribe and rate and uh, review the show. Uh, we appreciate your support as always. And uh, we will have our usual uh, start of the week Monday show coming at you with Jeremy and I in just a few days. But until then, enjoy your weekend and we will talk to you soon. Giddy up. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.